Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated. I want to start this morning by talking about St. Nicholas. St. Nicholas was an an incredible figure in church history, well known for several things. He was born in about 270 AD. He became a Christian at a young age, became known for his generosity and his kindness. Eventually, he became a bishop in a place called Mira, which is in modern-day Turkey. And there are some stories about St. Nicholas in this time. He would he would go around, and when he, he, he'd been very wealthy, he inherited great wealth, but he wanted to not keep it. He wanted to give it away for the sake of the kingdom. And so when he would find a need, he would meet the need. But he wanted to be anonymous, and so one of the things that he would do is he would actually try to find a way to get the money into your home without you ever knowing he was there. And this became kind of a ritual of his, either to to put a a bag through a window or some stories say even down a chimney. And this this was part of who he was, but all of this generosity, all of this kindness was fueled by his powerful passion for the Lord Jesus, whom he knew had given him so greatly, so much, that if he could be a blessing, he wanted to always be a blessing. Now there's one story about St. Nicholas that's, that's not really well known, and I want to talk about it a little bit because it's, well, it just makes me happy. And uh, uh, in a roundabout fashion, it illustrates well what we're talking about this morning. So in 325 AD, something incredible happened. There was something called the Council of Nicaea. Now, for church history majors, this, or for church history people, this is a big deal because this is the first time that Christian leaders from across the world were able to come together. Because until a very short time before this, Christianity was illegal. Christians could not meet in public. But now it was legal, and there were some questions that needed figured out. So three hundred bishops from across the Roman Empire came together to meet in this place called Nicaea. And can you imagine, can you imagine being able to go to a church service for the first time and not have to worry about hiding? 
Can you imagine being able to go up and embrace someone in the love and peace of Christ and not be worried about the repercussions? Can you imagine that happening for the first time? And that's amazing. But one of the things that we're trying to figure out at the Council of Nicaea is who exactly is Jesus? You see, most of the church, and I, when I say most, I mean almost all of the church, agreed that Jesus was God the Son, part of the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there was this one person named Arius. And Arius was a priest who did not believe in the Trinity. He did not believe that Jesus was God the Son. And so, while listening to Arius speak, the bishops were, were listening, they were going to make a decision, they were hearing him out, but Nicholas found himself so bothered because this wasn't just a person who believed differently than he did. This was a person who was advocating for the church to stop recognizing Jesus Christ as God the Son. And his passion and his love for Jesus filled him up so much that he felt the need. It may look like a gentle caress that Nicholas is giving Arius there. I do want to go to the next slide where I've made it a little bit bigger. Do you see the hand that's open? You see, the story goes that he rushed Arius and slapped him across the face to get him to stop talking. He slapped him across the face. This, the first church service in public was an exciting one, to be sure. This is St. Nicholas, the generous gift giver, so filled with zeal that he lashed out when someone was arguing for Jesus to no longer be worshipped as God the Son. And the reason I wanted to show you this is because I find this story very heartening that sometimes when my anger gets the best of me, I'm not alone in that. Even St. Nicholas once struggled with his anger. Some people question whether the story is true. In my heart of hearts, I believe it is. Because I want it to be. But what I want to talk about today is what would it look like, what would it mean for us to have a passion for Jesus so tremendous that it could just take us over. Now, I'm not saying that what I want you to do is leave today ready to slap a person who disagrees with you. That is not what I'm advocating for. But I do want to talk about living a life so filled with zealous, faithful, passionate obedience that our entire lives are taken over by our faith in Jesus, as was the case for Nicholas, even given this one slip. That just makes me laugh so much. But I want to I look at our, our passage today. And I want to I start this with the question of, or the, the thinking of, New Year's resolutions. You see, at this time of year, it's the time that we're all thinking about what we're going to do differently next year. And there are the common ones. Does anyone have a New Year's resolution that they're willing to share? Anybody? We'll all hold you accountable. The common ones are, I want to lose weight, or I want to exercise more, right? I want to spend more time at home. These are all good things, and I'm not going to question or criticize them at all. 
If you've not made New Year's resolutions like those, I encourage you to do so. It's a very good and healthy thing. But I want to look at a different kind of New Year's resolution. You see, during Christmas, we all have Jesus on our minds. Because that season is about the birth of the Lord. We're reminded over and over and over again as we listen to music on the radio about the birth of Jesus. And he feels close. When you get caught by the Christmas spirit, he feels close. And I wonder what would happen if we made a New Year's resolution to have that closeness displayed and lived out in our life all year long. So, I want to dive into this passage in Ephesians 3, verses 14 to 21. Now, this prayer of the Apostle Paul is one of my very favorite. It's one of my very favorite because of the scope it gives to salvation and the heart of the Apostle Paul that's just so clear and his love and recognition of the love of Christ. And so I want to take it a little bit at a time. We're actually going to start in verse 16. Paul says, I pray that out of his, meaning Jesus's, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. When we think about salvation, for us, we understand salvation to go this way. A person realizes they're apart from the Lord. And this has happened for all of us in different ways. If you're here today and you belong to the Lord, your beginning may have looked like one of a few things. Some people do not remember a time they did not believe. They knew that apart from Jesus, they were nothing. They were dead from a very young age. And so cannot remember a time where they didn't believe. For some of us, we, we've gone into our life a little ways and we have this moment where we realize I need Jesus more than I need my next breath. I'm without life if I'm without him. For some of us, that happens still at a young age. For some of us, it happens in adulthood. But for many of us, we have this moment where we realize I'm a sinner and I need to repent. This is true of every single human being. And so we go to the Lord and we say, I'm sorry. But repentance isn't just about an apology. Repentance has this idea of, of turning, right? And so it's, it's as though we've been, if the Lord is there, we've been heading away from him. And when we repent, we commit to turning toward him and aiming our entire lives in the direction that he has called us to go. That's what repentance means. It's a thing we do once and then it's a thing we do over and over and over again. You will never enter a phase of your life where repentance is no longer necessary. And then after we repent, we commit, we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Savior, knowing that salvation only comes through him. Our sins can only be forgiven. We can only be granted eternal life 
through Him. And Lord, because He calls us to follow Him. It's not just faith, it's faithfulness. We're called to follow. We accept Him as Lord and Savior. And then He fills us with His Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God comes and dwells within us. And fills us with power, as Paul says here. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So, we repent, we commit, we receive the Holy Spirit, and we are saved. And that's the very beginning. You see, we do something very wrong if we think that the Christian life stops there. It doesn't stop there. It starts there. And everything that comes afterwards is about growth. It's about becoming more like Him. It's about following and serving and worshiping and being His. A member of His family, adopted in. And living as a member of His family. And so this process of transformation begins. And then Paul goes on and he says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love. I think a lot of the times when we, we read those words or words like them, we think what this means is I need to put down my roots in love. Or I need to establish myself on the basis of God's love. And that's very wrong. It's an incorrect way of reading the passage. You see, the, the words here, they're what's called, if anyone is really dying for Greek, and I know you all are, right? They're perfect passive participles. I could have you repeat it, but I want you to come back next week. So what that means is they're things that have already happened. They've been done to us. They've already happened. They've been done to us. We haven't done them. Someone else has. We are rooted by God. You see, when He gives us His Holy Spirit, the picture is that roots dig down. And when a thing is rooted, it does not move. It does not fall. When a tree's roots are deep enough, it will stand against anything. The power of God's Holy Spirit fills us and strengthens us, fills us with endurance and ability to persevere through whatever experiences we, we encounter in life. We're rooted and firm. And then this other word, established, is a foundation word. And it has this picture of laying stones. And on one hand, that's a, that's a strength picture, like rooted is, but it's also something else. When you lay a foundation well enough, the structure will last the test of time. The structure will endure the test of time. This isn't something that's a right now and not later. 
See, a lot of the times we think of the Christian life as, as a thing we step into, and, and a new Christian is filled with zeal and excitement, and then it kind of fizzles. And some of that's very natural. But what should not fizzle is that excitement about living, that commitment about living in the way that Jesus has called us to. But because, because of his spirit, we are capable of staying connected to him throughout our entire lives. He does not ever leave. And we can feel like he's far away sometimes. We can feel when we encounter hardship when we're just not as excited as we used to be, when our faith feels stale, we can wonder if he's left. That word established is a promise that he will never leave. We've been given his spirit and ready to stand the test of time. So we are rooted and established by God in love. And then he goes on and he says, we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. When we use that word grasp, a lot of the times what we mean is to, to understand, right? We want to grasp a concept. This means something a little different than that. It's about grabbing hold of and making yours. If I grasped something that you had, I'm trying to take it from you or share it with you. I want to make it mine as much as it is yours. So when Paul says we want to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, he's saying we want to make that love Ours. And how great is it? Christ's love is so tremendous that he knows us through and through. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the best of us and he knows the worst of us. Those parts of ourselves that we don't like to think about. Those struggles we have that no one else knows that we keep hidden those thoughts we never share. He knows them all. And he looks on us. And he smiles. And he loves. Because his love is so tremendous that nothing in us can overcome or do away with his love. It's absolute. And Paul says we need to make that love ours. So how do we do that? How do we, how do we grab hold, share in that kind of love? I think a concrete way of doing this and a good New Year's resolution would be to grasp the love of Christ through reconciliation. And here's what I mean. Christmas is one of the times that reveals the relationships in our lives that are not the way they're supposed to be or are not the way we would like them to be. That family member who things are always awkward and tense because of whatever happened so many years ago. Or perhaps they're not awkward or tense because the relationship is ruptured, but the other person doesn't even know it. You've hidden your bitterness or anger. 
What if your New Year's resolution was to, to take one of those relationships, and you know who I'm talking about. I would wager that all of us have someone with whom our relationship is ruptured. What if your New Year's resolution was for the year to grasp the love of Christ by overlooking any faults, forgiving any offenses, and bringing that relationship back to the way it could be? What if your New Year's resolution was to say, I'm going to get in touch with them, and I'm not even going to bring it up. We're going to meet, and I'm going to ask the Lord's help to forgive. And our relationship is going to move forward the way that our Lord wants it to. I think one way that we could grasp the love of Christ would be to experience that absolute unconditional love and offer it to someone else. And I want to encourage you to do that this year. I want you to make that one of your New Year's resolutions. Do it with one person. Do it with every person that you're in that place with. But I want to challenge you to make that commitment this year. Verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. That word knowledge, when we think of knowing something, we think of, I know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. It's a, it's a head thing. But we also say that we know people. Right? It's the difference between I know who someone is and I know them. Right? This person is known to me. There's a, there's a friendship or an intimacy suggested by that word knowledge here. And so it has two senses when Paul uses it this way. One of them is relational. It has to do with a closeness. It has to do with a a tightness, a spending time together, a seeking out. And in that way, a good New Year's resolution to strengthen our knowledge of Christ would be to be intentional, to make the decision and stick to it about spending time with Him. This is a good time of year to start a reading plan, a reading through the Bible in a year plan. If you've never done it before, please let me encourage you to do so. Contact me and I can send you one. Or we have our Bible reading plans that Calvary does. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark very soon. And one of the things, or starting next week, and one of the things we're very excited about is taking the, the Bible reading plan through the Gospel of Mark and then also branching off into other places that speak on what the subjects of the sermons are going to be. If you've never done our Bible reading plan, I want to encourage you to do so. If you've taken it because you feel guilty not taking it and thrown it away every week or every month, that's fine. Just use this one. Right? Make that plan. Make that commitment. And if you, if you mess up, because you will, because none of us are perfect, just start again. Right back into the order of where we are now. You don't have to make up all the past reading. Just read. Spend time with the Lord. What if your New Year's resolution was to make a commitment that every day before your head hit the pillow, you will have spent time with Jesus, your Lord and Savior, who is with you, whose love for you is absolute? What if you made a New Year's resolution that every day before your head hit the pillow, you'd spent time with Jesus? And no excuses, 
That day you're exhausted, you get home late, you still say, I need to spend time with Jesus before I go to bed. That day where you're angry because everyone in the family has been yelling at each other and you cannot imagine stepping into the throne room of God and praying, you decide no more excuses and you do it anyway. I wonder how your whole life could be transformed by grabbing hold of your relationship with Jesus. That word knowledge is a a relational word, but it also has this idea of walking in someone else's shoes. Knowing what they've gone through, what they've done, who they are. Our sermon series that we're going to start next week is going to be called Doing What Jesus Does. We've said that we are a church that eats and does. And last year we talked about eating with Jesus. And I think that it was a very positive thing. I've heard a lot of stories A lot of very good stories about people coming together and sharing meals. This next year, we're going to talk about doing what Jesus does, and we're going to be practicing a lot of the things we see him do in the Gospels. One of those primary things is service. So next year, you're going to hear a push from us. We would love it if every single person that comes to Calvary is plugged into serving in some way. We're going to talk about it frequently. Now, it may be that what your your body allows you to do is pray. And so, we'll ask you to be prayers. It may be that what your schedule allows you to do is greet once a month. You can show up for church 15 minutes early and be a greeter. Wonderful. Then we're going to ask you to do that. But I want to give you fair warning. This next year, we're going to be open about wanting everybody to serve. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, one thing we cannot do is ignore the way that he served. And you all remember the story that shows this picture so well. When the Lord of the universe, the one through whom all things were made, put a towel around his waist, got down on his knees, and washed the feet of even Judas. That picture is one of what a true servant looks like. And that's who we're called to follow. That's whose shoes we're called to walk in. And so, this year, we're going to make a challenge to the church to walk in Jesus' shoes by serving. I think that would be another excellent commitment. And then, verse 19, to know the love Oh, sorry. We already went there, didn't we? Then Paul says that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, a lot of people have wondered what this means, to be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. And I'm going to tell you in no uncertain terms that I don't know. I think it sounds wonderful. Being filled... But the fullness of God sounds wonderful. I don't know exactly what this looks like. I don't know that any human being, aside from one, has ever experienced it. But I do know that this is talking about transformation. It's talking about change. You see, if we'll commit in our lives to doing things like reconciling, those relationships, to doing things like spending time with the Lord 
every day, to doing things like being intentional no matter how busy or difficult it is, to serve, to put others before ourselves, change begins to happen. His Holy Spirit within you begins to work at you, begins to mold you and shape you to become more and more like Him. Now, I do not think that any of us will be transformed into someone who is just like Jesus on this side of heaven. I think that we'll spend an eternity becoming more and more like Him. And I don't know that we'll ever get there. But I do know that that transformation, that change can begin now if we allow the Holy Spirit to do His work and begin to change us today. And then the Apostle Paul finishes with these two verses. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the Christmas season. While it's a different experience for all of us, we know that for so many, it's a time of joy and delight. It's a time that is spent with family and friends, with the giving and receiving of gifts, with delicious but terrible for us food, Lord, we thank you for Christmas. But we don't want to have just one season, one short period of time where we are surrounded and reminded by your Son. Lord, we ask that you help us to live our lives in such a way that the presence of Jesus saturates. Help us to live our lives in such a way that he's never far from our minds. That we intentionally practice following him. That he remains the delight of our hearts always. Help us to never lose track of the fact that Jesus is real. And because of that, everything is different. Help us, Lord, to grasp his love. Help us, Lord, to know, to really know him. And help us, Lord, to be filled to the measure with the fullness of you and be changed to be more like him every single day. And Lord, we pray that 2020 would be a year where we grow. We grow as a church in our spiritual maturity, in our gifts, in our impact on the community, in our fellowship together, and most of all, our fellowship with you. 
but also, Lord, I pray that each of us as individuals would grow in our faith, would have a closer walk with you, would know you better, and that the people in our lives, the people around us, would see the evidence of your work in and through and around us. We pray all these things in your Son's holy and precious name. Amen.